The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. You know, God's will, as revealed in His Scriptures, is perfect and beautiful and good and what is best for everyone in their life. And sometimes it seems like uh, it's hard to, to see how something that God wills for us would be good for us when our feelings are contrary to that. Um, this week, the Supreme Court normalized, institutionalized same-sex marriage, making it illegal for states to ban them. And there's been obviously very polar different reactions to it. And uh, I just want to say that the Word of God is clear on the issue But many of us need to make sure that our response is one of love, that our response is deeply saddened because if we truly love someone and we see them doing what we see the Word of God saying is not good for them, then obviously we're not going to support that and be happy about it, just like we wouldn't normalize behavior in our home that we know that God has said this is not good for your children or for you. And so in our, in our rea- reaction to the Supreme Court's decision, we should understand that, no, it's, it's not God's will. It's very clear in the scriptures that uh, this, this is contrary, this is sin. And so if you're told, well, that's not clear, it is, it's very clear. It's very clear both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that this is not good for humanity at all. And so we are right to stand for what the Word of God says But just make sure that we read the scriptures and we understand what the scriptures say. And let's make sure that we do it in love and explain as much as we're able to that we stand on this position because we believe it is good and beautiful and best for our friends that we love dearly. Uh, And then we can discuss it with them and have a scriptural argument and look at the scriptures and make the case. Uh, But just make sure we're responding in love and in grace and, uh, but not compromising the truth. Um, the opposition that we see and feel, I think this, genera- this, this service has a much younger generation than the first service. And I think generally, yes, that's right, I included you in that group. Uh, generationally, generationally, uh, I think there's a different feel. I think the older generation is probably taking it much harder because there was a since the 1920s, there's been a very gradual shift away from the Protestantism of America. And so there was great hope in the, the uh, political establishment of Christian morals and values in our country. Uh, and I think this is a big blow to, that, to them, and it's very hard for them to, to see and hear this because it feels like, man, all hope is lost. And I think the good news is we, we need false hopes removed because the gospel is the only one true hope, even though that's a painful process. For the younger generation, I think most of us, a lot of us have said, I don't really care what happens in politics, because I think it's all a joke anyway. And I think for us, we need to realize there's a wake-up call that we need to care, and we need to do the best we can to find common agreement for laws that, to the best we can, that promote Christian values and things like that. So there's a lot said there, but I think what it does indicate for all of us is the opposition is growing. I think more and more it will be very clear that when you stand for the truth of God's word, people will not like you. They will not like what you say, and they will say ugly things about you, and they will post it, and they will 
Instagram it, and they will whatever it, and it will be all over the place. And we just better get ready for standing and stating the truth with great love and grace. So as the opposition increases, we're going to have to work, understa- work to understand how do we persevere in the gospel work that we have. Our, our uh, series in Nehemiah has been how do we bring restoration to families, to neighbors, to communities, to cities, to nations, and beyond. How do we do that when there is increasing opposition? In the book of Nehemiah, we see this this ratcheting up effect. Progress is making, God is making great progress. We're going to see today the wall is built. uh, And as progress is growing, opposition intensifies and gets more exacerbated and more frustrated and more intense. So how do we persevere in this work of restoration that we've been given? And we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 6 and chapter 7 two qualities that we must have to persevere in our work of bringing restoration to families, to our friends, to our neighbors through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see the qualities are, first of all, total dependence on the Lord, dependence and discernment. Let's look where I get this. First of all, in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we see the opposition growing. Listen to verse 1 and 2. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, success had happened when it was reported, and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors and gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Chephirim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So before we get to Nehemiah's response, let's consider categories of opposition. The first category of opposition that we see here is the the strategy of distraction. The first thing the enemy is doing here is let's see if I can distract them from this great work that they're doing. And we see this in verse 3, Nehemiah's response. He says, so I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah knows that what he's doing is a great work. Do you realize bringing restoration, I just love that word, restoration, in the midst of of tearing down and the, the, the message that we hear in the world is degradation. We have the great work of restoration. When families are being ripped apart, we have the work of restoration. When relationships and families are being strained and torn apart, we have the message of the one true message that brings restoration. Nehemiah knew that what he was doing, restoring a people to properly worship their creator, was a great work, no matter what was being said. Society around them, culture around them was saying, what are you doing? This is horrible thing that you're doing. And he says, why would I stop? Why would I stop this great work of God to, to spend my time arguing with you and fussing over what you're saying and stop everything I'm doing just to make sure that you're happy with what I'm doing? He says, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted. 
This is a great work that I'm doing. I, I wonder how many of us understand the greatness of what God's called you to do. I mean, think about the greatness of the gospel. The gospel, here's the gospel, here's the great message that we have to bring to others. First of all, I am guilty. I am a sinner. I love sin. I hate things that God wants me to love. I love things that God doesn't want me to love. And I am guilty of that. But praise God that the wrath that I deserve for that rebellion, he poured out on Jesus as my substitute. Everything I saw Jesus get on the cross, I deserved, and he was my substitute. And in exchange for taking my wrath, he declared me righteous. And if you trust only in the blood of Christ, when God looks at you, he says, not guilty. I see the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to hold the righteousness of Christ as your account from now on. That is a great message. And it's also great to know that when people are restored to proper worship where God is central in their life and they worship their creator through Jesus Christ, the practical outflowings of that is also restoration. I have personally seen marriages that were ridiculously messed up. The husband's in my bedroom or in my living room at three in the morning Tears with papers, with accusations that were so complicated, it was like, oh man. But day after day after day of just the simple gospel message, it is so profound and so powerful that now he sends me a card and usually a check, which I don't need, but every, every year on his anniversary, he's so thankful. He sends me a card. Thank you and Dana for what y'all did. Now they know and we know we give all credit to God and the gospel that restores lives. That's a great work that we are about. That's the great work that we're called to bring to our families, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our city, and to, to nations beyond. And he says, I will not be distracted. I think we have one of the greatest obstacles to our gospel work is distraction. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Google, emails, texts, messengers, Netflix, Hulu, 3D movies, careers, hobbies, vacations, vocations, fitness, nutrition, politics, school, homework, sports, practice, games, tournaments, and on and on and on. Every day, constantly barraging us. Think about anything but the gospel. Be about any good thing. Just don't be about the great work of the restoration found in Jesus Christ. We have distractions everywhere. We must not be distracted. Not only does the enemy seek to distract, but he also seeks to discourage. I think we can all connect with that this week. This, the moment I heard Dana came, opened the sliding door of heaven on the porch overlooking the ocean with the wind blowing, and she says, the Supreme Court just ruled and it passed. Marriages are, you cannot ban gay marriages. And it was just like, oh, it's so sad. It is so sad because I know that's not what's best for them or for anyone. And it's easy to get discouraged. Look at verse 4. 
this discouragement was sent. They sent messages to me four times in this manner. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. And then we're going to see a fifth. And I answered them the same way. I'm not stopping the gospel work. I'm not stopping restoration. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time. This time with an open letter in his hand in verse 6. And it was written. It is reported among the nations... And Geshmu says that you, the Jews, are planning to rebel. Misinformation, lies, accusations against God's people. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall because you plan to rebel. And you are going to be their king, according to these reports. Verse 7, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king of Persia according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Let's reason together. Let's, let's compromise. We're going to tell the, the ruler of Persia that you are setting yourself up as an opposing king. So before I go and report you, let's just make a compromise. Now look what he says in verse 8. Then I sent a message to him. Such things you are saying have not been done. You are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and will not be done. So here the enemy is very persistent. And from Nehemiah's response, we learn the enemy was trying to discourage them, trying to distract them, trying to discourage them, and later we're going to see he tries to deceive them. Now, notice, that's what losers do, right? If you are up against an opponent and you know you're outclassed, you know you're going to lose, all you can do is try to distract, hey, hey, discourage and deceive. See, we need to understand God and Satan are not equal opponents here. God has defeated Satan. God has promised worldwide restoration. God in his plan, though we don't like it or understand it, allows Satan a measure of harassment, a measure of deceptiveness and discouragement and distraction. But he says, it's done, it's finished. I will establish worldwide worship among my people. We must know we don't need to fear man. Fear God. He wins. And if we could take a helicopter view right now and see the whole world, a map of the world would show the gospel is spreading like wildfire. It's just right now in America, God has removed the blessings of a government endorsing what we would call Christian values. And so we must not for one second get discouraged and deceived and think that God is losing or, boy, this is a close battle. That's not it. God wins. He is the all-powerful, almighty one. He's already declared that Satan has been defeated. I said it a couple weeks ago, the head's been cut off the snake and the tail's just wiggling, doing some damage. But God wins. And so we never should forget that. We should not be discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged. It's, tend, it's easy to think that things are not going well and we're losing the battle, but we me must never lose sight of the picture that we see in the Scriptures. God is faithful to His promises. That's the whole story of the Bible. We need to understand the story of the Bible so we know where we fit into the story. God promised Abraham He will establish worldwide worship through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. Christ came... 
He established that. He gave us his spirit. He says, bring the restoration. I'm coming back to finish things up. And that's where we are in the process. We're waiting for him to return. In the meantime, we are taking the gospel to bring restoration to lives and families and cities and communities and nations. So the enemy's been defeated. All he can do is distract and discourage. The key is not fearing man, but fearing God. Keeping our eyes on God keeps us from being afraid of what man threatens against us. So how does Nehemiah respond to the distraction and the discouragement? We see in verse 9 his dependence on the Lord. Look at the last part of verse 9. He says, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. They attacked Maybe they'll come discouraged. And what does Nehemiah do with his gasping breath? Every breath comes another prayer. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Just listen to what Nehemiah has been doing since chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and this verse 6. In 1, 4, when it says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. What did he hear? Jerusalem is in destruction. I wept and mourned, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He's depending on God. Verse 4 of chapter 2, then the king said to me, well, what do you need? What's your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He's depending on God. Every ounce of his being, chapter 2, verse 8, the king granted to him the things he asked, and then and he says, the reason why he gave me these things is because the good hand of my God was on me. That's why the king responded favorably, not because I was good, but because God's good hand was on me. Chapter 2, verse 12, I arose in the night, I, I and a few men with me, I did not tell anyone what God was putting in my mind to do. He's walking with God. God is real. God is with him. God is invisible, but he is very alive and well and involved in in the midst of seemingly very turbulent times. So, verse 18, chapter 2. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. Chapter 2, verse 20. So I answered them and I said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. In chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O God. Verse 4. 4, 4. Hear our God how we are despised. They hate us. And what's his first response? God. I know you hear this. They despise us. 4.9. But when we prayed to our God and because of them, we set up guard against them day and night. He didn't pray and kick back and do nothing. He prayed and he worked. He prayed and he set up guard. He prayed and he saw everything that was going on. God was involved in all of it. Verse 20, 420, at whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. You rally together, but no, God will fight for us. 5-9, again, again I said, the thing which you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Don't fear man, fear God. Know that he has revealed his will. Should you not believe that it is his word, that he cares, that he's watching, that he's taking account? Walk in the fear of God. Do what he has said. 5.9, again I said this thing what you're doing. 5.13, I also shook out the front of my garment and I said, Thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill his promise. So you make a promise, you know. God hears that promise. God listens. God is 
concerned with your word. You should keep your word. You should keep your covenant and live as if God is paying attention. 5.15, their servants domineered the people, but I did not because of the fear of God. Nehemiah knows God cares about every little detail of his life, and he orders his life accordingly. 5.19, he prays, remember me, O God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. He believes God is paying attention. So our verse again, chapter 6, verse 9, where we are today, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. That should be the first prayer out of our mouth when we're tempted to be discouraged. God, strengthen me. God, strengthen my hands. God, give me what I need to be faithful today. Do you believe God is that real? Do you believe that God is that involved? Do you believe that God cares that much about every detail of your life? This is not some deistic view of God. We don't believe in a God who set up principles and set up natural law and said, now go and do the best you can with it. I'll be here if you really get in a bind. Give me a call. That's not, that's not the biblical view of God. Nehemiah knew the biblical view of God is God is intimately involved in every detail of my life when I'm working. He is the one working through my hands. When I'm taking care of my children, he is the one giving me the words to say. When I'm working with a neighbor, he is the one interacting in the midst of us. It is not just me and my own strength and my own will and my own understanding and God's out there ready to receive a call if I call him. Anybody, some of y'all are old enough. Anybody heard of call waiting? Anybody remember that? Call waiting? Some of y'all get it. Okay, call waiting was... A great invention for about a day, you know, because you would call someone, I mean, it was busy. They were on the phone. Well, then they invented call waiting. You'd be on the phone, and they'd call you, and it would beep, and you would try to click over and hang up on them, but it was a really cool concept that you, oh, they can get through. Now, I read once a great analogy of this constantly depending on the Lord is like being on the phone with God everywhere you go, constantly interacting, constantly depending, constantly talking, listening to God, letting him be very involved in your life, and anything else is a beeping in that you choose to allow to beep in or not. But too many of us are on the phone with everything but God and just give God a holler when we get in a bind. And that's not how it works. God wants you to depend on him for everything. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. You work hard. You work your tail off. But ultimately, you work knowing that God works in and through and under and behind and all that you're doing. It's depending on the Lord. Nehemiah had a total dependence on the Lord. Now, this is the quality we need if we're going to persevere in the work with increasing opposition in our life, it's going to continue to increase. Opposition will never stop. Are we totally dependent on the Lord for strength, for grace, 
to persevere. This dependence of Nehemiah, this quality that he had, led to and produced the next quality. The next quality we need is discernment. A total dependence on the Lord produces a discernment, a godly discernment that we must have in order to persevere in our work of taking the gospel and bringing restoration as opposition increases. Look at verse 10 and following. He says, When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. And they are coming to kill you at night. So at first, this sounds like a great idea. Hey, they're coming to kill you. They're going to take you out. Hey, you're my brother. Let's go into the temple because they're not going to go in the temple. Let's just go in there, lock the doors, let's keep you safe because you're a lot more valuable alive than dead. We need you for this cause. So let's just go up into the temple and, and spare your life. Just, just don't, don't get too concerned. Just, just do what I'm saying. I'm trying to protect you. Now how does Nehemiah respond? We see in verse 11, but Nehemiah said, Should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Nehemiah says no. Now, what's going on here? Why does Nehemiah say no? Look at verse 12. Nehemiah says, then I perceived surely God had not sent him. But he had uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin. You see what he's saying? He's saying, these guys were hired by the opposition to lead me to sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Nehemiah, as a leader of God's people, is being tempted. They are deceiving, trying to bring the leader down because they know if I can get him to sin, I will make a great dent against the Lord's work. Now, I don't like this concept. Many of you come to me for years, ever since I've been in the ministry, and go, I'm praying for you, Pastor. I'm like, well, I'm praying for you too. We all need prayer. What was going on was this insinuation that I needed more prayer than you need. And I'm like, I'm just like you. We all need prayer. But I've learned. I am just like you. But God hadn't put you in this position. And I need your prayers. Because the enemy wants to take down whoever the Lord puts in this position. Or your elders. Or your staff or your community group leaders, or your co-leaders, or anybody that God has put you as a leader and influence over people. The enemy doesn't like it. So I do covet your prayers. I am just like you, but the enemy does not like leaders leading people in God's direction. So what we see here is he is being deceived to sin. And Nehemiah says, not going to happen. Now, how did he... How did he discern this? How did he discern that this was a trap? How did he know that God's will was not for him to go into the temple? Because he knew his Bible. 
We want to, how do I know the will of God? It starts with knowing the Bible. If you want to know God's will, it starts with knowing the word of God. This black and white letters on paper, it, these, the do's and the don'ts of God's words are the curbs on the path of God's will for your life. Do this, don't do this. Don't get outside the curbs. It leads to a ditch. It's not good for you. Inside the curbs, and it's a pretty narrow road. You don't have to wonder. There's not a lot of wavering inside. It's not like wavering all the possible options in life, and it's just so confusing. No, if you are in the curbs, then the, the path has freedom and flexibility. That's the wisdom of God that you have to live within the, the parameters of God's will. And it's, it's a wonderful place to live. It's a great path of abundant life. And God says, I want you to know this. And Nehemiah knew that path did not lead for him into the temple. How do you know? Because the scripture said... In Deuteronomy eight and Numbers eighteen seven, any outsider, any non-consecrated priest, Numbers eighteen seven, the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. That's pretty clear. Don't go in the temple if you're not a priest. Now at this time, the glory of the temple and had been the temple had been sacked and they had been exiled and coming back and it's just not what it ever was. You know, it's tempting to go. Well, I know. I know that was, that, that, but that, you know, it's not, things are different now. Things are just different now. Just go in there. You can do a lot more good in the temple if you're alive. Just, let's just talk about this. Let's just compromise. Let's, let's make a little adjustment here. And he says, no, no, not going to do it. As believers, in order to persevere in our gospel labors, we must be able to overcome deception. Deception that leads to sin. We must be able to discern the will of God. And God's given us two key gifts to enable us to do this. The word of God and his own spirit. The word of God and his own spirit is everything you need to know God's will for your life and to keep you out of sin, sin that will destroy your leadership credibility to bring forth the gospel restoration. Hebrews 5.14 says this, Solid food, referring to the word of God, the meat, the fullness of the word of God, knowing the word of God is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Are you practiced at knowing the word of God that the spirit of God then gives you clear clarity? This is not God's will. No, I can't compromise here. The word of God says this is not his will. It may be confusing and they may seem sincere, but it would not be right or good or beautiful or loving to compromise God's word in this matter. And that's what we see Nehemiah able to do, discern the will of God because he knows the word of God and he's practiced walking in God's will by the guiding, guiding of the word of God. 
in verses 14 and following, we see God making great progress. Everything around him, you would think he would look around and say, man, we're losing this battle. I mean, they just get stronger against us. The opposition just keeps gaining ground. But in verse 14, we see, no, no, we're not losing. And remember, oh my God, Tobias and Balad, according to these works of theirs. So he calls out to God, remember them. And also, Noadiah and the prophetess, our own prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Verse 15, so he gives his enemies over to the Lord. Verse 15, so the wall was completed. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, in the 52 days. In 52 days, they finished the wall. This wall that, what are you going to do? Build a wall where a fox can jump on it and tear it down? Yep, 52 days, done. Now, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, what happened to the enemies? They lost their confidence. For they recognized this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. That's awesome. The testimony of God, the greatness of God happened when the people of God were humble and just focused on doing God's work. Each one of them working on what's in front of their house. Seemingly insignificant work. I don't, I'm not doing much, but I'm doing my part. And what happens when everything in the world seemed like it was lost for God's people? That's when the nations said, now wait a minute. Their God is up to something here. So when you look around and you feel like the enemy's winning... And we just lost, and we got a major blow. We don't fear the man. We stay focused on God, and we know, boy, things are just prime for God to make a name for himself. Praise God for his faithfulness. And so we see, in the middle of all this potential discouragement, God is making great progress. God is making a name for himself. I wonder... What people think when they look at our church. A lot of y'all are guests, regular attenders, and we are so glad God has brought you here. I wonder what your perception is. I wish that thoughts could be like little thought bubbles that pop up right there, and you would say this, that, the other. I hope and pray that what pops up in your mind is God's doing something here. God's doing something here and not, heaven forbid, not anything about us being great. Have you ever been a part of something awesome happening in someone's life? And it's kind of like you were like, I just happened to be here for the show. Dan and I walked alongside that couple. That, that he showed up in my house at 3 in the morning and in our house at 3 in the morning and I was like, whoa, this is messed up. Papers in his hand, crying, man, it's over, and all these accusations are lies. And all we knew to do was just come alongside our friends and remind them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Long time, day after day, reminding them 
Turn to Christ. Lay your life down. Serve one another. And God restored their marriage. And he sends us a card on their anniversary every year. It's amazing to just go, wow. We didn't didn't do anything special. We just kept talking about trust Jesus, live for Jesus, lay your life down like Jesus laid your life down. And he brought amazing restoration. That's a great work. And, And there's no one trying to give us credit. It's just praise God That's who he is. That's the kind of God he is. He's a God of restoration. And that's the great work that you and I have the great privilege of participating in. But we can't become distracted. We can't become discouraged. And we can't be deceived. We must have a total dependence upon the Lord, his word, his spirit, and just keep on keeping on being faithful. Finally, we see the last challenge he has to overcome, and it's, once again, through discernment. This comes in chapter 7. Chapter 7 is another one of those chapters that you go, oh, my goodness, can I just read through it? Chapter 7, we, we see uh, the, the wall has been rebuilt, but there's always more work to do. Look at verse 1. Now, when the wall, I'm not going to read all of it, relax. Now, when the wall was rebuilt, I set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. You know, this is fun times. It's like, yeah, we're done. All right, you go stand over there. Watch that door. Verse 2, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than me. All right, you're in charge. All right, I got everybody in place. Then I said to them, don't let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. Late in the day, open the gate, but make sure there's always someone standing guard until you shut and bolt the doors. I also appointed guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post, each in front of his own house. And now the city was large. Oh, it's time to celebrate, take a Sabbath year off. Nope. The city was large and spacious, but nobody lived there. But the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. So then my God put it into my heart, my next job, to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following records. Verse 6, these are the people of the province who came up from captivity of the exiles, from whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon... Down to verse 66. The whole assembly was together was 42,360 people. That's sad. When they came out of Egypt, there was millions. Now the wall's restored. Let's celebrate restoration. And nobody's here. Verse 73. And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in the cities. So Nehemiah gets to the point in his life where the rest of us would say, whew, that was hard. Thank you, Lord. Finished the wall. Got it built. Got it closed up. Delegation of duties. Got everybody there. Good. I'm going to go to the beach now. Kick back for a while. Everybody come back. Wait. Where is everybody? You see, it was never about the wall. It's always been about the people being restored to proper worship. And he looks around and there's nobody there. 
I mean, imagine all your life, you've, oh, it's finally happened. You look around, as soon as it's time to party and celebrate, there's another massive undertaking. I mean, it's tempting to just get overwhelmed. Just drive through the city of Shreveport. It's tempting to go, are you kidding me? What, what, what can I do here? There's no way. And what did he do? He discerned what the Lord had for him next. One step at a time. The Lord said, all right, now, wall's done. Here's what I want for you to do. I want you to get the people back in the city. And we'll see him do that. For us to persevere in the work of restoration, for us to restore a people, the city of Shreveport, this community of Norris Ferry, your neighborhood, your family, we must be able to discern what the Lord wants me to do. Can you discern the will of God for your life? I want to leave you with a practical, very practical help in doing that. First of all, the Lord wants you to bring restoration to everyone in your life. Let's start there. The people that are already in your life. I used to go door to door, knocking on doors and sharing the gospel with people. You know what was the hardest part? When's the last door? I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. But there's always more doors. How could I ever be okay with not knocking on that next door? I used to wonder, I'd sit in my office and go, why don't I get the phone book and call every number in the phone book? If we're supposed to share the gospel with the nations, how about starting with the phone book? Why don't we paste billboards everywhere like you see those billboards? Why don't we just say all our money, pile it in there, Get billboards, share the gospel, and when the last person sees the last billboard, it's done. Because that's not how God chose to do it. Trust me, he could have made a pretty good billboard in the sky. But he's saying, I want you, 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 I want you to reach the people I'm putting in your life. I want you to be a part of this. That's why you have children if you have children. That's why you have coworkers if you have coworkers. That's why you have neighbors. That's why you have people. That's why you have relationships. God wants you to reach certain people. So reach them. That's who's your, your church, your work, your family, your vocation, whether that's at home or outside the home. God wants you to reach them. Now, Beyond that, this is not a perfect deal because it's definitely, uh, God does whatever he wants. I don't ever want to put God in three circles, okay? God does whatever he wants. But affinity, ability, affirmation. Affinity, what do you like to do? God's will is not like, I want to take you where you hate to go. God says, what do you really like to do? That's affinity. What is your ability, your God-given ability? What are you really good at? You like to do it and you're good at it. And what do others affirm, man, God has really used you this way? A lot of times where those come together, you really like it, and God says, I'm going to really give you the ability to do this to the glory of God. And others say, man, you've really, God's really used you in that affirmation. Where those come together, man, that's the bullseye. 
Don't be paralysis by analysis. Just do it. Do it. Get busy doing it to the glory of God. Invest in that bullseye, that spiritual gift area. Think of that as this is the will of God for me. And just be faithful and do it. That's your portion of the wall. That's your part right in front of your house. Do it and do it well and do it to the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ, ready to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. So total dependence on the Lord, discerning the will of God, that's how we will persevere even as opposition increases. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.